Welcome. You are listening to Central Synagogue's podcast, featuring sermons, lectures, and conversations from Manhattan's historic Central Synagogue. I'm Rabbi Angela Bookdahl. Each week, we invite you to listen to messages of strength and hope given by our clergy on Shabbat or Jewish holidays. You can also listen to audio recordings of other programs and lectures given at Central by subscribing to this podcast on the platform of your choice. If you'd like to watch our live stream services or learn more about our congregation, I invite you to visit us at centralsynagogue.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. And raise me up to a world living, oh, safe from the storm, in the shelter of your shadows. Tonight, we honor and reflect on the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., With the urgency and passion of the Hebrew prophets, Dr. King looked out over the mountaintop and preached a gospel of love and liberation. Speaking on behalf of a movement, Dr. King looked racism, poverty, and violence in the face and showed the world a vision for a flourishing America in which all people and communities could thrive. We also honor tonight the lives of those who marched alongside Reverend King, whose activism and scholarship nurtured and shaped the civil rights movement, and whose legacies continue to point us toward a a more just America. In Jesus and the Disinherited, theologian Howard Thurman writes, I can count on the fingers of one hand the number of times that I have heard a sermon on the meaning of religion to the man who stands with his back against the wall, to the masses of men who live with their backs against the wall. They are the poor, the disinherited, the dispossessed. What does our religion say to them? In his scholarship and ministry, Dr. Thurman, who taught and ministered at Boston University while Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a doctoral student there, embodied a commitment to liberation, nonviolence, and justice. I am honored to welcome to the Central Bema tonight a preacher, activist, and scholar in whose words and work Howard Thurman's question echoes, what is the word of God to those who stand with their backs against the wall? Reverend Timothy Atkin Jones is the pastor of the historic Bethany Baptist Church in Newark, New Jersey, and assistant professor of homiletics at Union Theological Seminary. Before being called to Bethany, Reverend Atkins Jones faithfully led congregations in Massachusetts and Connecticut, building a legacy of community activism and Christian service. Reverend Atkins Jones holds a PhD in practical theology from Boston University, an MDiv from the Boston University School of Theology, and a BA from Amherst College. He is a sought-after teacher and preacher across the country, and he is a proud husband of Dr. Amy Victoria Atkins-Jones, professor of theology and African and African diaspora studies at Boston College. Together, they have four beautiful children. Reverend Atkins-Jones, on behalf of Central's clergy, staff, and community, it is my honor and great joy to welcome you to Shabbat services and to extend our deepest gratitude to you for joining us this weekend. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for that glorious introduction. In fact, I think I might have to make sure uh, that Rabbi Hilly can zoom into everywhere I go uh, to offer introductions like that. To all that have gathered in this place, I want you to know uh, that my heart is indeed overwhelmed. Uh, it's been a while since I've been at Shabbat service, and so I am uh, so glad to be able to join you. I am just so glad to be able to be in a sanctuary with anyone at all uh, in these times that we've had. And so it's just so great uh, to be with you. Such hospitality. 
hospitality uh, has been offered and the beauty of this service calls us to uh, this moment. And so I am excited. We had a wonderful time at our coffee with the clergy on yesterday. I'm glad to be here on tonight. I'm looking forward to being able to share just a little bit on uh, tomorrow evening as well. Also want to say a good evening to all of those that are joining us and streaming online. Uh, many of the Bethany Baptist Church family are with us as well. And so thank you all for uh, joining with us. Uh, and indeed, it is such a joy, such a joy uh, to be with you all tonight. And I wanted to tell my, my friend in the front, I love those cool those cool gray uh, Jordans you have on. What size you wear? Maybe. Oh, we'll talk. We'll talk episode. We'll talk episodes. Uh, if you can, won't you bow with me for a word of prayer? Most gracious God, who are we? That the Lord of all the earth would care to know our names. Let alone God allow us to come into this your sanctuary to give your name all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. So we come in this night seeking to be inspired, seeking to hear from you seeking to be able to experience the love that you so freely give and offer to us. Thank you for the grace that has allowed us to gather on this evening. And might we attune our hearts, our minds, our spirit to you on tonight. Whatever it is, God, we need. Whether we need to be convicted, God, whether we need to be comforted. Whether, God, we need to learn or, God, whether we need to celebrate. Whatever it is, God, I believe that you will give it to us in your name. And so it's in that great name we do pray. Amen. Amen. I, I have to be honest, I found myself in a bit of a conundrum. Uh, on the one hand, I did not want to turn to a New Testament text for obvious reasons. Uh, and on the other hand, how dare I turn to uh, what we refer to as the Hebrew Bible uh, to speak to this incredible congregation on this evening. So I ask your prayers and your grace uh, that I might say a few words this evening. I want to turn to Genesis chapter 11. Be reading verses 1 through 9, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. I dare not try to do it in Hebrew, and so indeed, I ask your grace uh, as I read Genesis 11, uh, verses 1 through 9. It goes this way. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come. Let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and... From there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The time that we have to share this evening, I like to preach from the topic community or chaos. Community or chaos. Monday, our country celebrates officially the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the only African American for whom a national holiday is celebrated here in America. 
Dr. King, as you most certainly know, was a visionary leader with the ability to see the future, in a sense, and to describe the future that he felt God had for our country and for our world. Dr. King not only had a dream, but a robust vision of what life could be and maybe what life should be. He was prophetic then in this way. The spirit to see the vision that God has for the world, perceiving what is not actually there, whether by some intellectual sharpness or divine endowment or some combination of both, a society-altering vision. One like Dr. King shared requires extraordinary insight, an anticipatory spirit, and an immense imagination. And so Dr. King's dream wasn't only his dream, it was God's dream, and it was the dream of God's people. And so I am so glad, excited even, that the nation and an extent the world honors Dr. King. But while the nation claims King as a national hero, two things irk me. One, as amazing as Dr. King was, he was not alone, and the sheroes and heroes of the movement are often lost in the annals of history because of a high kind of hyper-glorification of one man. As I shared in our chat on yesterday, not even his most famous speech, I Have a Dream, could not have happened had it not been for the Reverend Dr. Prathia Hall uh, giving him uh, the, the, the seeds for the notion of having a dream and for Mahalia Jackson screaming from the back when he was floundering a bit in the opening parts of the speech, tell them about the dream, Martin. <laughs> it's one thing that irks me quite a bit. The second thing, and this one really gets under my skin, particularly this time of year, is that many of the same folk who will quote him and share video clips and tweet him and put up Instagram posts over the course of these next couple of days uh, sharing know nothing of his dream. They haven't recognized him as a visionary leader who spoke out against the nation's racism and militarism and capitalism and the mistreatment of the poor and oppressed. King wasn't kumbaya so much as he was tear this down. Tear down the systems to keep their boot on the necks of people everywhere. Yes, he was incredibly eloquent. Yes, it was all rooted in love, but the dream called for chaos to become the status quo. He offered constructive self-criticism to allies, ecclesiastical renewal to churches and religious institutions, and ultimately national and global transformation was the call. In his last publication, his main question was asked, I wonder if ironically, he asked, where do we go from here, community or chaos? But King knew where the country was, even as he was writing. There really was no question riding in the midst of a nation and a world facing the frightening prospect of an arms race, the war in Vietnam, communism, communism versus democracy, a lethal mix of racism and classism and capitalism gone wild that polarized and paralyzed American progress. King knew before he went to the mountaintop and before he passed that chaos had already found its way to where he was. That's the question then, like the question is now, where do we go next? Because chaos must sound familiar to us. An honest assessment of our now is chaos. Year two, maybe is it almost three of this pandemic, money seemingly more important than people, trips to space, but no universal health care, military budget grander than the GDP, 
GDP of many of nations, still a war on drugs in the midst of semi-quarantine that puts black and brown folk away disproportionately, insurrections with those who aided it still in leadership positions, voting rights going backwards, the stress and strain of waiting to see if those who were sworn to protect and serve who ended up killing and made me wondering if they will be held accountable since justice is long gone. We have found chaos. Or maybe chaos has found us. I know we've come a long way. We've come such a long way, but progress isn't inevitable. And at this major crossroads where chaos abounds, and it seems that even justice movements everywhere are trying to figure out what comes next, we ought to embrace chaos. What would happen if we didn't run from chaos except that we ran towards it? We need community. Oh, please don't, please don't get me wrong, especially in a time when it is easier than ever to find your own echo chamber. Remember at the height of quarantine when we all were locked down, locked down, and not this kind of in-between lockdown we find ourselves in now? It was so easy to find folk who agreed with you. So easy to find folk who would just say amen to whatever it is you wanted to say about any topic in the world from the comfort of our homes. Oh, we need a kind of community outside of the familiar, but maybe Dr. King was wrong in placing an or between community and chaos. Maybe it is community through chaos. Nestled. In the middle of genealogies, the Tower of Babel passage is a well-worn a story in my tradition. Everyone, as you know, is on one accord, speaking the same language, migrating together in a large mass of folk. They want to build a city, and in it a tower that will reach up to the heavens. Why is right there in the text? Because they don't want to be scattered. Let's build a tower. Let's make our name for ourselves because otherwise we'll be scattered over the course, uh, over the face of the earth. And I have to say, I need you all to keep this quiet because I don't know if any of my Sunday school teachers are watching or maybe even with us on this evening. So please don't tell them, but that's not what my Sunday school teachers told me. When I was growing up, I was told over and over that the issue here was pride. That they wanted to be like God and to build a tower that would go to the heavens. But the text says right there, that the issue doesn't seem to be pride, but maybe the issue is fear. They were afraid to be scattered around the earth. They were afraid to be uncomfortable. They were afraid to disrupt their status quo. And I don't sense much pride here as much as there seems to be a whole lot of fear and maybe selfishness. God told the people to, to multiply and spread throughout the entire earth, but they wanted to remain right where they were, where they knew, where everything was comfortable. They figured if they could just huddle up together and do what they had always done, everything was going to be okay. They figured if they didn't try anything new, they'd be safe. They thought that they just did things the way they'd always done it. They just went along to get along and stayed together in the ways that they'd known, and they'd be comfortable, then everything would be okay. 
figured if they had the same programs, the same marches, the same systems, the same everything, that they could be the ones blessed and beloved community that they always wanted to be. But my friends, I wonder as we gather on this beautiful evening, could it be that fear of the unknown, of the unusual, of the risky, the fear of change of our own status quo is what stops us from being the beloved community that God has called us to be? where all are taken care of, where everyone experiences justice. The more I think about this text, the more fear jumps out as a paralyzing agent for community. They had to have known of what God had commanded. They had to have known what they were called to do, but they feared being scattered. They had a promise from God, now you'll be taken care of, but they didn't have anything concrete, nothing that felt solid, nothing that they were used to. So they found themselves falling back into what they already knew, bricks and mortar and building and being together, and at this point being on one accord and everyone more or less being the same. But the more I come back to this beautiful story, the more I realize that what ultimately happens isn't about punishment for pride. Shh, don't tell my Sunday school teachers. That this isn't a folk who are necessarily full of arrogance, Maybe there are people full of anxiety, worried about what comes next. They're not worried about building a tower just for their own sake, but worried about where God would send them otherwise. Maybe not pride and arrogance, but just plain old fear. Fear of trusting God, trusting God to be just, trusting God with God's promise, fear of going to a new place, fear of discomfort, fear of change, fear of having to give up something that they knew. And maybe this is a word to all of our faith communities. Maybe the pathway to beloved community is through the chaos of scattering, through the chaos of doing something new, through the chaos of being forced out of what we already know. My friends, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I, I don't know what it looks like. We can talk about it more in class on tomorrow evening and in continued conversations, and we can find ways to work together. We can try our best to figure it out, but it seems to me the text this evening suggested our way forward has to be a chaotic one. It calls us to be something new and calls us to find ways to be uncomfortable. Justice is going to look chaotic. It's going to require us being willing to push beyond our normal sensibilities and to try something new. And Maybe this weekend is a time as a broader community to thank God for being a God who scatters. Because when God swoops into this account, God sees them, sees that nothing will be impossible and decides to confuse their language and again, Y'all make sure that none of my Sunday school teachers were here because I'm going to talk about them again. Because the more I read this text, the less I see God's actions as some kind of punishment. The confusing of the language, it leads them to be scattered. It forces them to move beyond what they've known and to think about now other people in other situations. Their fear is redirected. This isn't a punishment, but the God that scatters gives them a push. Seems like the push they needed in order to do what God had called them to do. They needed to be scattered. God's actions in this text propel them forward. This isn't a punishment. God blesses the people by putting them in situations where they are forced to be different, forced to learn and to care about others, forced to work with others, forced to see the needs and wants and concerns of others. God pushed them to a place where love could now grow them. That vision 
the beloved community for the world can be realized. Chaos is what led them to the love that builds community. It reminds me of one of the most chaotic moments in my entire life. My pastor at the time, I was uh, an associate pastor serving a church, and it was my pastor's anniversary. And as an anniversary present, he, he was a, a thrill seeker. And so he asked to go on an outward bound excursion. And so he didn't want to go by himself, and so he asked me to go. And being a young pastor that I was, I couldn't say no to the senior pastor. I said, of course I will go with you on an Outward Bound excursion, finding ourselves in Vail, Colorado, up in the mountains. I won't belabor the story by telling you how I would walk through the snow and everybody else in the group would just be able to walk across the top of the snow as we hiked our way through the mountains. But every time I took a step, I post-holed into the snow and found myself sinking deeper and deeper and walking all around. I'll save you from those details of the story, but at some point, I believe it was day two of our 10-day hike, <laughs> we found ourselves at our, our first cliff where we had to go over. So standing there in the group, the pastor and I, we've been separated now actually into two different groups and found ourselves on the edge, on the precipice of this cliff. The instructor told us that we were thousands of feet above uh, the ground and that we were going to prepare to go over. Looking around, he asked who wanted to go first. Now, I found myself in an interesting situation. I was the only black person in, in my group, and so I felt the kind of pressure to represent for the entirety of the race. And so though I did not volunteer to go first, I stood there looking as confident as possible, praying the whole time, please, 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 please ask somebody else to go first across this cliff. Our director, Sam, I'll never forget his name, Sam looked around, he looked around, and after a few minutes, he looked at me and said, Tim, will you go first? Wanting to save face, and it was cold, so my face was pretty frozen, but wanting uh, to save face, I said, sure, Sam, I'll go first across the cliff. I know, I know you can tell I'm, I'm pretty tall, but I was deathly afraid of heights uh, even so. Uh, but I found myself on the edge of the cliff, and Sam showed us what to do. And so, whew, mustering all of the confidence I could, I made my way to the edge of the cliff. I got, got to the edge, and I kind of stuck my foot out and, and rubbed my shin against the end of the cliff, trying to hold on to some of the earth. And, in a move that probably should have taken a couple of minutes to get myself situated on the other side of the cliff. Time seemed uh, to stand still. I know there was at least 15 minutes of me trying to slide my leg down into the first latch. But eventually, eventually, by God's grace and mercy, I turned around and found myself on the ledge now. Uh, strapped in, trying to make my way down thousands of feet to solid and what was sure to be holy ground. Take a step, take another step, then eventually I make my way down far enough that someone else starts coming. So they start coming, and then I start coming, and then I think it was over an hour later, we found ourselves on the ground. I am not ashamed to admit I kissed the ground. I mean, kissed the ground. And so we made camp at the bottom of uh, that cliff that night, and 
and they allowed us to eat a little bit more than we normally would, and we had a great celebration, and we were telling tales around the fire, and I found myself, I just had to be honest with y'all, and I found myself talking about how, you know, how, how fun it was to come down the mountain, and how great, great a time I had, and we, we talked about how we made it down, how beautiful it was, and so we did that for a few hours, and eventually everyone started to make their way back to their individual tents. Found myself in a situation where it was just me and Sam, the last two folk left at the fire. So I said, Sam, why did you ask me to go first down the cliff? Before Sam could answer, I said, it, it was because I looked so confident, wasn't it, Sam? It was because I looked like I could do it, wasn't it? He said, no, Tim, you look scared to death. So I said, Sam, if I looked scared to death, why would you have me be the first person that goes off a cliff? He told me something that has stuck with me since this day and has really become a guiding principle to my life. He said, Tim, I knew that as soon as someone else came behind you, that your focus would shift to trying to make sure they were taken care of. And whatever fear you had in going down the mountain would now be redirected and trying to take care of someone else. He says that when you care about someone else, it allows you to redirect your fear so that now you're concerned about someone else and that whatever it is that you were afraid of, now you can focus on taking care of someone else. Sam scattered me on that issue. Sam forced me to be in a different kind of position where love had to take over. Oh, my friends, I wonder what it would be if we allowed the God that loves us so much to scatter us and to put us in new and different situations outside of our comfort zones that will now force us to love others past whatever fear we have for ourselves. I wonder, my friends, if you'll join me, not only in community, but in the chaos that brings us to it. The chaos of newness, the chaos of difference, the chaos of different people and situations, the chaos that leads us to real community, the chaos that disrupts, and the chaos that I believe honors the legacy of Dr. King and the dream that he fought for us to enjoy. Friends, won't you be scattered with me that we might be the community that God has always intended. Amen. Amen. And I'd always praise your name. Thank you for listening to this edition of Central Synagogue's podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you're in the loop on future episodes. And please follow us on social media or watch our live stream at centralsynagogue.org our Facebook page, or on national cable at the Jewish Broadcasting Service. Thanks again for joining us.